Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Part of the wonderfulness of doing Spirit in Action is connecting with the people at community radio stations all across the country, which means I also get to find out about the many rich programs they are carrying and originating. Today we have Brenda Astorino sitting in for me for Spirit in Action, sharing some of the riches from her Pathways program on KLOI, broadcasting from Lopez Island, one of the San Juan Islands off the coast of Washington State. Brenda brings on wonderful guests, making this a better world, and I'm astounded by the riches that come so beautifully from the guests she'll be sharing today, Sarah Yamasaki. Sarah's stories at time bring tears of wonder and gratitude to my eyes, and I'm so grateful to Brenda Astorino bringing her Pathways program here to you today. It's over to you, Brenda. Hello, Mark. Thank you for letting me be here today. I'm grateful to introduce your audience, Spirit in Action, to Sarah Yamasaki, Head Instructor of Moving Words. She is the founder and head instructor of the Moving Words Writing Clinics, a summer writing program for elementary, middle school, and high school students grounded in the belief that everyone has an authentic voice, everyone has genius, and everyone can write. She is a writer, multi-sensory learning specialist, and certified teacher with over 30 years' experience teaching children, graduates, teachers, and professionals. She is trained in the Slingerland approach, Linda Mood Bell learning processes, and Wired for Reading. She has a Master of Arts in Teaching English, specializing in composition and rhetoric, and she is a recipient of the Hedgebrook Writing Residency with poetry published in Calyx and Echoes from Gold Mountain, essays in the Kyoto Journal, Tickum, and Crab Creek Review, book reviews and articles in the International Examiner, and she is a monthly contributor to New York Spirit. Sarah has two grown children and resides in Seattle with her husband, Tom Ikeda. You can find more information about the Moving Words Writing Clinic at Moving Words Clinic, all one word, movingwordsclinic.com. Sarah, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Sarah Yamasaki. What were you like as a child? I was pretty shy and awkward. I think I was in part not able to see that well, given the fact that I had monovision. I was um, had three operations on my left eye at the age of three, six, and 12 to try to straighten out the um, amblyopia, which is astigmatism where I'm not using the left eye as strongly as my right. 
the doctor tried to straighten out my eyes, which actually took away vision, and I ended up being monovision. In addition to that, I grew up after the restricted covenants had been lifted in Seattle, um, in the north end of Seattle. And that meant that there were a lot of um, people who weren't used to seeing people of color. And I remember going to kindergarten with bullies taunting me in part because they just didn't understand who I was. But there was one neighbor boy who would tell me that his dad killed people like me. And that was really scary. Sarah, I'm sorry you went through that. And we are on radio, so people can only hear what you say about yourself. What would you like to share about your ethnicity? When people looked at you, what did they see? Well, I didn't understand that this boy's father had been in World War II fighting against the Japanese. And being Japanese-American, it was... um, it was like the enemy, but I didn't know that as a five-year-old, and I actually didn't really understand why his father would kill people like me. I'm reflecting on your sharing about yourself regarding monovision. How do you think that affected your own perceptions of the world? Well, I didn't know I was seeing a monovision. It was the only way I saw the world. But my mom noticed that I was shy and awkward. And so she put me in a dance class that I loved. And from then on, I fell in love with ballet and um, quickly accelerated in in dance. Um, So much so that my dance teacher even helped me pay for the lessons by giving me jobs to demonstrate for other classes Um, And she even would pick me up and take me to the dance studio. So I was really lucky in that my dance teacher helped me be able to take many lessons. But I also gotten many dance scholarships at a young age. And she thought I was very promising. So um, that gave me not only grace, but more confidence. And when I fell in love with dance what happened was I also fell in love with music. And when I fell in love with both dance and music, this became an avenue for me to express myself, um, express my feelings, my heart, and um, in some ways just disappear into the music. Um, And with all that, it gave me poise, it gave me um, confidence, Um, Grace, I was actually quite athletic and coordinated, um, which I didn't really know that I was. But that really was a gift to me. When you describe dance and what it meant to you, you talked about how it opened up new horizons for you, maybe new awarenesses, new experiences. Can you talk a little more about how it felt, this music and dance? Can you expand on that? Well, it's interesting thinking about me being monovision and being a dancer, 
Because I remember um, an eye doctor saying, how in the world did you ever spin and balance? Because you're seeing everything from a, a lopsided kind of perspective. And I didn't even realize that what I did very early on to balance was lining up myself internally versus visually. Um, I could feel my spine line up. I could feel my um, the line or the, the shape of my body um, almost through my skeleton. And um, this internal uh, alignment, alignment with my body seemed to also align with music so that oftentimes things I could do would be things that I didn't think I could do. Um, and it almost felt like I was being moved by the music and oftentimes I could just feel the music and the music would move me, which in many ways is how I operated in the world and still operate in the world, which also got me um, very connected to writing at the same time. And when I wrote, it seemed that the pen was dancing and the words were music and my heart would just take me to the places that I wanted to express. So dance was in its music and my body became an instrument of expression bigger than what I could do myself. And same with the writing. The words, the flow of the pen, the expression of um, my feelings or scenes or sounds or smells all seemed to flow out the same way. That's exciting, Sarah. That connection between dance, music, and then writing. Would you tell us more about how this passion for writing emerged and how that coincided with your career as a dancer? Um, I think as a child, I... And part of it may have been because I was shy. It might have been also because of the discrimination that I faced from bullies. That expressing my feelings um, was something that I could do on the paper, on page, on the page, and through movement and music. So I kept diaries, and I'd read about dancers um, or people. People were just interesting to me, and. What would be probably the earliest place where I noticed that people recognized my writing maybe was in when we started writing thank you letters to um, people after Christmas or birthdays. And um, my mom would say that her her friends or my the people, recipients, my aunts and uncles or friends, family friends, would um, call her and tell her how much they appreciated my thank you notes. I thought that was funny that people would thank me for me thanking them. <laughs> but I also began to get recognition at school because um, I would write and teachers would would take note. So I think that um, my writing seemed to be something that other people noticed and appreciated. And the same with dance. My dance teacher or people in performances would take note of me. When I got yeah, scholarships at 15 for prof at professional dance studios, that also um, 
made me think that I was pretty good. Can you talk to us a little bit, especially in regards to your career now in riding as a rider and as a riding instructor? How did things move or progress from your teenage years to now? Well, I ended up going to graduate school and specializing in the art of teaching writing and with a minor in well with a minor in Asian American studies but also focusing on composition and rhetorical theory. And I think that the part that I loved the most was that I always taught writing when I was a teacher and I was a um, high school, middle school and elementary school teacher. Uh, but in particular, when I would teach the upper grades, middle school or high school, the students would just love to write. And I was also a very popular teacher. Um, kids who misbehave in other people's classes didn't misbehave in my classes as a whole. And um, and so I always loved teaching. I mean, there's sort of an interesting story that I used to practice ballet in my basement um, as a, a young girl. But in between, I would practice being a teacher. And um, there's a there was somebody who who told me that you know if you want to know what someone's going to be most happy and successful at, ask them what they used to play when they were a young young child. And it's interesting that I used to play being a dancer and a teacher. Yes, I love teaching, and I love teaching writing. I've taught not only English, but I've taught ballet and I've choreographed musicals. So in some ways, all the things I've always loved in my life, I do right now. Your husband told me you also taught at the college level. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to teach at the college level. Well, I just love teaching. And the thing is, is um, I really studied the art of teaching writing. Um, and in that study of it at grad, in graduate school, um, we studied what was the process that the most successful writers used. So listening to many, many interviews and um, recognizing that professional writers actually have um, allow themselves to brainstorm to not know where they're going all the time, to not have it all figured out, and to allow themselves to like think out loud on paper. Um, and this was almost like a warm-up. Or you could actually get caught up in stream-of-consciousness writing where the writing starts to write itself. And all that is a part of the process of writing where the writer is given the freedom to explore her, his or her thoughts. And um, we don't usually give that luxury to students. They're usually taught right away what is correct, what's not correct, and the, way, the correct way to do it. So it never gives the, the, the young writer or the student writer an opportunity to fall in love with writing. Um, and just like dance, you know, you don't suddenly start to dance and learn all the ways you should and shouldn't do it, oftentimes it begins where you just turn on the music and your heart just starts to take off and you start to want to move and, and dance. And 
if you don't give somebody the opportunity to find a love for the movement of music or the love for an expression of your sound, I think you miss the opportunity to develop your voice and to develop a passion for something that has to do with your, 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 your unique self-expression. And this is really how I came to the approach that I use to teach because in most schools, there isn't the time for people to explore and wander around with writing. And there isn't also the opportunity to revise many times to polish a piece. And nobody will want to revise and polish a piece if they don't like the topic to begin with. So the wandering around is part of the writing process to find out what is the topic you love, to discover the topic you love versus the topic you have to do. And um, if we had the opportunity to really wander around and have the eye and ear to listen within our hearts to know what we what speaks to us, wouldn't that be marvelous so that everybody can follow kind of like what you're called to be or called to express or create. Um, and this is the approach that I used for college students. But I also believed that it could be used for those who struggle the most, the ones who have difficulties reading, writing, the spelling, um, the dysgraphic, the dyslexic, the students who have been told that they are obsessive compulsive disorders, they have um, attention deficit disorders, they have language written expressive disorders. I mean, I, I could go on and on about the labels that people have given others to tell them why they can't do something. And I have come to really believe that everybody can do this. If they can breathe... And if they can feel, and if they can speak, um, they can express, and they have a spark inside them that excites them or they're passionate about something. And um, that's where, why I came to believe that everybody has genius. Um, and I used to use the word, oh, wow, look at the genius in this writer. And it may be somebody who hated writing, was a dysgraphic dyslexic, but her work was beautiful. They were the kind of scenes and feelings that you'd read from the most um, sought-out writers. And this writer, or many writers, would never been taught that they were just innately doing this. And I, I thought, well, maybe it's not a good idea to say the word genius, but... Uh, uh, I looked up the origin of the word, and the oldest Latin definition of the word is your attendant spirit from birth, your innate ability or inclination. That is genius. Later, it becomes your exceptional capacity for creative or original thought. But the origins of the word genius, it really is your attendant spirit present from birth, your innate ability or inclination. And I'm so relieved to find that in the dictionary because it is inside everybody. And I've taught thousands of students of all ages and abilities, from ones who are like four years old 
not interested at all in holding a pen or pencil, to people who are professional doctors and lawyers who have succeeded and think that, you know, there's nothing more for them to learn, but that there's something inside them that aches to be expressed. It's for students who have failed many classes in school and ones who go on to Harvard and the top university, other top universities in the world. I mean, I've never not discovered that there's genius in somebody. It doesn't mean that I've had success with everybody, but on the whole, I've had success with most, and they're the ones who've never succeeded ever in their lives in the world of expression or writing. And this is why I believe what I believe, just as clearly as we bring, we believe, you know, what believe something you can't see, even like we don't see the air, but there's air. We don't see genius, but there's genius. Your talent has made a joyful journey for people. They get to discover their own genius. They get the opportunity to rejoice in creating. Your website describes you as a learning language specialist. Can you address that and how you interact within that framework? I have a daughter who's dyslexic. And when she was growing up, I had no idea what dyslexia was. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't really understood it. All the years I taught in college, I didn't understand dyslexia and and really didn't understand students whose, whose papers were misspelled. Come to find out that actually dyslexia is in my family. And... Um, and so when my daughter, who, who grew up very quick and bright and um, verbal, seemed to have struggling, has struggled with difficulties with um, reading, I just wondered what was going on. And I started to investigate and read and, and take classes. And that's when I discovered that she is dyslexic. And, um, and so I learned what it means to teach those who struggle with sound symbol association. And I learned various te- um, multisensory techniques, um, Slingerland, Linda Mood Bell, Wired for Reading, the Barton Method, so many different types of science-based language processing techniques. And what was interesting to me, this was all based on reading and how to read and spell and form letters. But it wasn't the way writers write. And I knew this because I'd studied this and I'm a writer. And I'd worked already teaching many, many writers. Um, About 21 years ago, I thought, I need to teach my daughter and the dyslexic community the way the best writers write. And I had no idea if it would work, but I knew it would. It's just one of those things like when you know you're in love, you just know. I just knew it would work. And so I started jumping in, teaching a writing clinic to dyslexic students and teachers of dyslexia. And the classroom just blossomed. 
I mean, the freedom any writer will have to be able to explore and express is an avenue that the best writers do what they do, the avenue they used to find their voice. And why not offer it to the ones who struggle the most? And from that one class, by word of mouth, people heard about the writing clinics all over the country. It sounds amazing, but I had people from New York and Maryland, Georgia, Canada, California, all over Washington State. I had so many people coming. And it um, actually overwhelmed me. I never had advertised, but it was just by word of mouth. I mean, the outcome was miraculous. I mean, there are so many stories to share about what happened. Um, I still remember there was one student I said probably couldn't be in the writing clinic. It was that he couldn't hold a pencil or pen, he couldn't read, and he couldn't write a sentence. And after I said he couldn't be in the, in the clinic, I thought, but then where would he go? Where could this teenager go? So I called the mom back up and said, you know, please have him come to the clinic. We'll figure out a way. Turns out by day two, he had fallen in love with a story he had in his head, and he was just writing nonstop. He wrote even at home so much that his dad got mad at him because he needed to go to bed. And on the third day of the clinic, the mom calls me and said, are, are you teaching, Sarah, are you teaching, besides teaching writing, are you teaching reading? And I said, no, I can teach reading, but I'm focusing on writing. And she said, I just want you to know my son just turned 17 and he's never been able to read any birthday card he's ever received. And today, this evening after dinner, and after we blew out his candles, he read every single birthday card for the first time in his life. And I just was so moved, and she was moved. But what went on was he continued to write after the writing clinics. And um, 10 years later, he comes back into my life because he'd written something like 250-some pages of a novel and had over 200 pages of poetry. And he wanted to work again with me privately for publication and revising his work. Um, that's an example of one person. And I have, I have hundreds of people like that. I'll break in here for a moment to remind you that this is Spirit in Action. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and that Brenda Astorino is filling in for me today, sharing her Pathways program with this amazing sharing with her guest, Sarah Yamasaki. I have four guest hosts who fill in me several times a year, and I hope this enriches my listening community beyond what I alone can bring to you. My website is northernspiritradio.org, where you can listen to all 18 years of my programs, both Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul, so you can track down my guest hosts, my guests, the stations where we're broadcast, some 35 to 45 of them all across the USA. For some reason, I'm particularly blessed to have lots of stations carrying my shows on the West Coast in California, Oregon, and Washington. 
Brendan Pathways originate from that little wonderful island off the coast of Washington called Lopez Island. And the community radio station there, KLOI, was in the first handful of stations to carry my shows. The point is, community radio is an incredible gift to the community, making available locally selected, relevant, and sourced news and music. And they deserve the support of your hands and your wallet. But right now, I want to hand the microphone back to guest host Brenda Astorino and her guest, Sarah Yamasaki. So prepare yourself for stories and works of compassion and inspiration, as Sarah asks. I don't know if you want to hear any more. Yes, Sarah, we do. Please tell us more about the clinics, and we'd love to hear more stories if, if you'll share those too. Well, at that time, the clinic was... From 9 to 3, Monday through Friday, five days. And in five days, people would transform their writing. Some would say it's more than they've ever, the best they've ever written in all the years they've ever written. Um, People would come back year after year because they felt like they needed to connect again with their voice. And, um, And they fell in love with writing, but started to hate it after going back to school. Um, I mean, there were kids who have dysgraphia and after, you know, the three days in the clinic, I would look at someone's paper and think that maybe another instructor had helped this student scribe, um, the work because his hand had gotten too tired, but it turned out to be the student's writing that had transformed, um, into almost a script like an adult's. Um, I have had students say they've always studied vocabulary and wanted to have a larger vocabulary. And then the next thing they know, a larger vocabulary is spelling, spilling out of their pen. And we could see it right in front of us because they'd be writing and we'd see their writing. Um, I think there was one that was very moving about a, uh, it was a senior who was going to be graduating but had really become disenchanted with school didn't know what he wanted to do after he graduated and was becoming a behavioral issue in school. But he took the writing clinics and I didn't know it, but he had been adopted in, in later in life. Um, and he grew up on a Montana reservation. What happened is in the writing clinic, he remembered memories of his time on the reservation and he had never recalled those memories before because in part they were painful his mother had committed suicide and he just couldn't think about anything about that he i guess he didn't try not to think about it he just didn't think about it but when he shared an object that was very dear to him it was an indian nickel head and he started to write about this he said he remembered all these beautiful memories of his mother And then he remembered that he loved being a grass dancer on the reservation. And he could remember the music and his tribe and the sounds and the smells and the way to dance. And he said it was like he remembered himself. And from then on, what I heard is he didn't have any problems at school And he told me that he could know where he wanted to go because he found out and remembered where he came from. That was very touching to me. Even still, when I speak about it, I get choked up thinking about him. He's just this sweet, 
big giant of a guy, curly, dark brown hair and a beautiful heart. What a beautiful story. It's astounding that that level of transformation occurs in such a very short time. Can you tell us more about how your approaches, your techniques impact younger students? I've worked with elementary kids, and um, it seems like the younger, the more quickly people transform. They haven't been told that they can't as long as some of the others. But so early, kids are afraid to make mistakes, um, to be disappointing, um, to do it wrong. Um, you know, school can be such a place of meritocracy that you merit if you get an A. So if you get less than that, then you aren't aren't there's something about you that's wrong. And if you put on top of that some kind of different language processing difficulties or attentional difficulties or some kind of dysgraphia, then you have all these other things that are on top of the the difficulties of um, just being okay who you are. And, you know, this brings me to the premises of the clinic. I came to really believe this, and I tell every student I ever have first that everybody's original, everybody has genius, and everyone has voice if you're brave enough to put yourself, your heart, on the page. And, um, and if you can do that, you're a writer. And the thing is, is oftentimes when I tell this to adults or high school students, you know, by the time I say you're, you're, a, you know, everybody has genius, um, they all kind of like, nah, I don't believe that. But when I say that you're, everyone's original and everyone has genius to the elementary kids, they all say, we know that. They all raise their hand. We know that. We are, we have genius, we're original, we can be writers. And I just find that so delightful because that's the age people still believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and they have all their hopes and dreams and, and they, they, if they have forgotten that, they remember quickly. And I, I've seen kids who, who couldn't do, couldn't write, really, literally couldn't write. And the next thing they know, they're beaming and saying, hey, I can't stop writing. My pen won't quit. And, you know, it's, it's not like that's not true. They are already tapped into how their pen is actually making them, them write and the feeling of that. Um, one elementary school student had written before she came that what one of her hopes was is that she could someday have a pen with a feather on it and that she could write with a pen with a feather and so we quickly before the the clinic started made everybody's pen with this beautiful turquoise ostrich feather and it was so beautiful to see how at first they were all stiff and kind of creaking out one letter after the another. And in the matter of, you know, minutes, 
the next thing you knew, those, those turquoise feathered pens were just waving in the air and there was such joy and delight and belief in themselves as writers and, and as people who can express and, and people who have genius and the, the glee that people would, they, the elementary kids would have in saying, noticing other people's genius because that would be what we do. We'd have secret pals and you were to notice throughout the day someone's genius and they could just point it out with such pleasure of each other's genius. Um, and so it became synergistic, like a, a womb of everybody being able to honor each other's unique self. And I should probably mention that, you know, one definition of genius is also your peculiar, distinctive, identifying character or spirit. It's that peculiar weirdness that we try to hide and to be able to fit in the box. But, you know, our peculiar er peculiarities are what make us unique, especially as writers. And so that's all part of the uniqueness of our voice, our sound. And to just go back to me as a dancer... You know, I really do hear people's writing as a sound, like a musical sound, like they are an instrument of a particular unique sound. And um, if they've been trained in correctness so much, they sound more like a committee, more like an institution, and you can't hear their unique voice. And, um, and sometimes I have to have students actually, like, write across the page in, in um, horizontal rather than horizontally across on the lines to go turn the page um, up the uh, sideways and write against the lines just to try to do different things to break them up from all the correctness and I've seen that they loosen up and they kind of tap into something about themselves that they they hadn't before and um, and then you see like the their eyes light up and a newfound joy emerge and um and there's their expression coming out when i listen to you about your students and how excited they get with writing i ponder that writing is not everyone's cup of tea it's not everyone's favorite class in school what do you do why is what you're doing so different from the experiences many people have? And why aren't your methods used in schools? How has it come to be that writing isn't embraced in the same way? Well, one thing, schools don't have the time to focus six hours a day on only writing. I mean, I really get how busy teachers are teaching so many different topics. I think that we've gotten very much into performing to get an A. We have to meet particular requirements to be an A student. And if you're an A student or a good student, then you can have your future in getting into a certain college or getting particular kinds of jobs. Um, and we're not really looking at who we are, what delights our spirit, what makes our light, eyes light up, 
and what are we called to manifest? Um, I usually tell the high school clinics that I know they're there to improve their writing. Many are there to make write a college essay or to improve their SAT scores or their grades. And I said, I, I know that's their purpose, but my purpose is for them to have their voice, to have their genius, to embrace who they are and to get in touch with what they love and to follow that. Because we're all here not just to perform and do well in school. Actually, I think we're really here to manifest our passions and where passions are our gifts and to manifest our gifts in our unique way to contribute ourselves to something bigger than us. And when we do that, I think we've made a difference in the world. And everybody's here for that. Everybody has some gift to offer. And um, when we get on track on this kind of um, linear track of um, performing, we for we are in sort of a fear-based modality that takes away from us really listening within, and we forget ourselves. We forget who we really are. We forget what we're here for. And we forget that we're here to manifest something that's unique that we bring. And we can share that in the world that will make a difference. Can we switch gears a bit? The focus has been mostly on writing and bringing out the genius in students. Your website shows that you've participated in the prestigious Hedgebrook program on Whidbey Island, and you are a writer. So if we want to focus on you and your genius, what does that look like? Could you speak to yourself in the same way you've spoken about your students? How do you bring out your own genius? I just follow what I love. It's like um, constantly bringing delight to my spirit, but I'm not trying to do it. It's just something like, kind of like if you walk in the door and someone's making chocolate chip cookies, you go to the kitchen, you know, <laughs> you just do it. Um, so I am grateful that I have never been able to stop writing. Even if I, I will go through dry spells and I'll go through rich, like non-stop writing spells. But on the whole, I've never been able to stop writing. And when I've not been writing and then I return to it, it's like I've come home to myself. And that's the same way I feel about dancing. You know, even in as I've gotten so much older and I have injuries and things with my body, I can still feel and move dance in me. And the moment I do, I feel better. And so I don't cultivate, consciously cultivate my genius. I, I 
just gravitate toward it like going to the to what you love or what um what you're drawn to it's not even as simple as going into the kitchen because there's somebody baking chocolate chip cookies it's more like um magnetic like a magnetic pull and yearning for the truth for truth inside your heart and with that are there any specific projects plans or ideas in the works with your own writing one right now is really cultivating divergent voices um i i believe that i create a very rich environment for writers and i'm seeking out and and have some really beautiful voices of divergent voices you know um people who have not necessarily been um in the canon of writing um we right now we listen to classics that are usually eurocentric they've been we listen to um we have publishers that are um have been in in the world really dominated by particular eurocentric voices and i'm really aching for divergent voices to be heard to be seen to be expressed to be respected and i want to cultivate that another piece that i want to do is i want to share my approach to the writing clinics how i approach writing i know that it's valuable and um and i just give it to people give it to parents who are struggling with their kids um give it to teachers who are struggling to keep their their students engaged give it to writers out there who think that they can't write but they can and the very thing that they think makes them a poor writer will be exactly what makes them unique i i just believe that that now's the time more than ever to hear all our voices and so the ones who never get heard are the ones that are most important to be heard in fact i used to say on my website that the dyslexic brain is the best voice for writing and i really did mean that but i couldn't didn't want to just say it was just dyslexic voice but with the voice of the people who struggle so much to get the words out the way they would express would be like like the first time you've heard an a beautiful instrument the music of a beautiful beautiful child or adult it, it's so beautiful to hear that sound and it's not the sound that you've heard before thank you sarah for encouraging this expansion of voices it's amazing to me everything that you've accomplished and that you still expand possibilities for everyone I see that as a gift to our culture. Thank you.
So my last question is for the people who are listening, whether you are a parent, grandparent, or a friend of a struggling child, what advice would you give that parent, grandparent, or friend to help that struggling child embrace writing? Well, it's really, it was so much easier. It's easier to say than to do necessarily with your own your own child because you're you're afraid for them um but i have done that with my own child and um who became a professional screenwriter um i think it's hardest to do it with those you love and are are afraid for the most but it's to pay attention and really look and notice and acknowledge their genius. I mean, we're so quick to notice what they're not doing, but notice what they are doing. On the page, it might be full of errors, or it might have just one sentence. And just look and listen to that sentence, or the page. And think of, see, look at all the things that are beautiful, and even not just beautiful, that are breakthroughs of things that you've never heard, you've never seen, or that that writer has never expressed before. It's there. Everything always has beauty. And you'll see it. It takes a lot of practice to start to see something in that way, in its unique genius, in its unique originality, its unique attendant spirit present from birth, birth, you know, it will be something as, it could be as obvious to me, to obvious as a turn of a phrase that is capturing uh, an image or a sound or a smell. But it could be also the excitement someone gets in walking down the aisles of Trader Joe's. Or it could be the way someone in a very quick, 10-minute free write ends that free write in a particular way that you you feel as if you got the whole sense of the whole moment and you don't know how that that writer that child did that and you have to look look at it like oh i see how how she did it i'm going to let her know this what is what she did because she's not seeing that she's seeing her misspellings her poor letter formations or he's He's seeing all the ways that he couldn't get his ideas out. But you, the person who knows the child the most, the one who gave birth to this beautiful spirit, you have the capacity to see the most genius you've ever seen ever. You have that capacity because you gave, if you're the parent, you gave this child birth. And if you're a grandparent, you, you have that too. If you're a good friend, you, you love that child so much and you'll see more than you can imagine. That's what I think would be really the best gift you can give somebody is to really see their genius, their attendant spirit present from birth their innate ability or inclination to see it, to hear it, to watch it, and to acknowledge it. That's the beginning. 
Thank you, Sarah Yamasaki. This has been such an enriching experience for me to sit here and interview you. Is there anything else you want to share? Any last thoughts? I'm not teaching any of the writing clinics this summer, but I have someone who is teaching online classes. Um, so if you go on the website, Moving Words Writing Clinic, you will be able to register for some classes. And there is, for the first time, she'll be doing a brainstorming clinic for adults and teachers to give people an idea how they can do this for their children or for themselves. So that would be with some techniques particular strategies that would help. And the overall piece is to be able to really see what's there, you know, see the genius in what's already there. That's the, what I'd like to say. Thank what? you so much. Thank you for having me share. Thanks again to Sarah Yamasaki at movingwordsclinic.com. Listening to Sarah Yamasaki never ceases to warm my heart. I hope your audience has experienced the joy I feel when I hear her express her insights and wishes for our world. Thanks for letting me share with spirit in action. Back to you, Mark. Thanks to you, Brenda, for sitting in for me today for Spirit in Action, and a great big thanks to Sarah Yamasaki and the miraculous transformational gifts she has shared with the world and with us today via this interview. Again, folks, Brenda Astorino and her Pathways program are shared on Spirit in Action quarterly, and her program is one of the seeds growing due to that local community low-power FM station on Lopez Island, KLOI. Thanks to all who make KLOI and other community radio stations live and flourish. My big news is that I'm going to visit Lopez Island the second week of July, so I'll get to see face-to-face a number of folks I've only known previously in the virtual world. I'm so excited about my visit to Lopez Island and with Brenda Astorino, who freed me up for more trip prep this week. But I'll be back with all of you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh